Hello, everybody. Welcome to Mindful Metal Jacket. I'm Joe List, and I am happy that you're here listening to the podcast. I hope that it's helping. I hope that you're enjoying it. And um, here we are, huh? I just finished meditating. I'm pretty cooled out, everybody. Um, those wondering, I most enjoy uh, the Waking Up app by Sam Harris talk about it a lot talk about him a lot on the podcast and um, I use the calm app as well with Tamara Levitt which is nice but I've found I still use it I don't want to say that I don't use it but I do find the Sam Harris waking up app to be even more helpful and deeper in some ways if you want to get deeper into the idea of consciousness and non-duality and uh, the Waking Up app also has a ton of uh, great conversations and lessons and all kinds of great stuff. So I recommend it. And he also makes it available for free if you are strapped for cash, which many of us are. Um, I think you can just email and there's no explanation needed. So I recommend Waking Up by Sam Harris. He's not paying me to tell you this. He doesn't need me to. I think he's doing very well. This is just me wanting to help you meditate and, um, yeah, try to experience some non-duality, eh? Something we all struggle with, I guess. Um, Good to be here. Good to have you. I'm recording this Wednesday morning. It's early. I just woke up and meditated, and now I'm doing this. And uh, how are you doing? I think a lot of people are struggling, just to let you know. My therapist's overbooked. Talked to him yesterday. That was nice and helpful. He said all his therapist friends are overbooked. And uh, everyone seems to be pretty much losing their mind. I think I talk about this in the episode a little bit. It's strange. Before pandemic, you'd struggle and you'd call some friends and someone would be helpful and be like, don't worry about it, bro. I'm over here, cool, sitting in the grass or whatever. I'm not a great improviser, but now it feels like everyone you talk to is bummed out, struggling, having a hard time. So it's a little strange. In some ways, it's comforting, I guess, that we're all in it together. In some ways, it's uh, a bummer. But I think, I don't know, things will get better. They have to, right? I hope. I have hope. I do have hope, and I'm spreading that hope into your cockles of your stomach. I have no idea what a cockle is. I know what a cock is. Anyways, let's keep it together here, folks. So I hope you're doing well as possible. And if you're struggling, you're not alone. And uh, I think this conversation may help you. Today, my guest is the incredibly funny, lovable, sweet, jovial, I would say, uh, Ed Larson. Ed is a comedian who used to live directly above me. We talk about it. Um, my wife and I are forever grateful to him. I was walking around in Astoria. My wife and I, at the time, we weren't married, but we were engaged. We had two separate apartments. We each had three roommates. We lived two blocks from each other. And I was walking around and bumped into Ed Larson, who is a comedian that I love. And I said, what are you doing in this neighborhood? And he said, I just moved here. And there's one other unit that's not finished yet. There's no one living in it. And I said, you think I can have it? 
he called his landlord and just said, you got to have this guy. And I went to Sarah's work and said, we just got an apartment. So I'm grateful to Ed forever because I love my apartment. And uh, he moved to LA a couple of years ago. We used to hear him fuck and now we hear someone else fuck. So we miss Ed. But uh, Ed was in an amazing comedy sketch group called Murder Fist. We talk about it a bit. You should go check him out on YouTube. It's wild and fun and hilarious. And uh, he's someone who I always liked and wanted his respect. Um, you might know him from the, I think it's the Last House on the Left podcast network. He's got a couple of his own podcasts. And uh, he writes for all the roasts. He's a comedian. And uh, he has a, his own podcast that I discovered on this podcast, this conversation you're about to listen to with Amber Nelson, who's one of the funniest people I've ever met. Uh, who I should get on the show. I think it's called the Bright Side Podcast, where they talk about the bright side of things. So I'm going to check that out. I haven't yet. You should check it out too. We talk about it a little bit on the podcast. And um, it's an interesting episode. The first 20 or so minutes, we're kind of getting to know Ed. And there's some interesting stuff in there, I think, that you'll enjoy, uh, especially if you're a big fan of Ed's. But even if you're not, you'll you'll learn some stuff about his upbringing. And um, it's really interesting. And then we really get into disposition and happiness and sort of leaning into sadness when we're feeling it. And um, there's some really great stuff in there. I enjoyed the hell out of this conversation. I do have to give a trigger warning. Last six or seven minutes, we do talk politics. And um, Ed is quite critical of the current administration. So if that's something that is going to trigger you, um, because I know a lot of folks who are Fans of the administration are quite snowflakey themselves, even though they like to throw that term around at other people. But um, I do earnestly not want to upset anybody. So maybe even if whatever your politics are, if you're tired of hearing politics, don't want to hear it. That's in the last, oh, six or five minutes. So you can duck out early if you're not going to enjoy that. Um, Ed is here also promoting a documentary that he made called How America Killed My Mother. That's how we get into the politics. So um, please go check that out. I believe it's available on Vimeo. You can rent it for like four bucks or buy it for six, I believe. And uh, he'll tell you all about that later in the episode. So there's your trigger warning. I think it's a great conversation. There's some laughs in there. We had some good laughs kicking around some old times. There's a couple jokes in there. And there's some, there's some good stuff. I think you'll take away some good wisdom. I'm happy with this conversation. So please go check out Murder Fist. Check out How America Killed My Mother. And um, be kind to yourself. That's what I'm working on. Self-sympathy. We talk about that a little bit in the episode. And my therapist told me to stop hating myself so much. So I'm working on that. And I also want to say thank you for the new reviews on iTunes and the kind emails and Instagram messages. Oh, there's birds chirping outside. Can you hear those? Um, they all mean a lot to me. So I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And also, I want to let you know that my album, I Hate Myself, ironically, is available for pre-order right now. You can go pre-order it, and that really helps the algorithm and gets it to be number one when it comes out. So please go pre-order Joe List, I Hate Myself, wherever you get your albums. That would be great. And the album is different than the special, which of course is available on YouTube for free. Um, but there's some differences, so you might want to check out the album. And I always prefer albums over specials, honestly. So please go do that. 
And with that, uh, we'll get it cooking. Here's a little quote from my favorite guy, the guy that started it all for me, Thich Nhat Hanh, who said, Many people think of excitement as happiness. They are thinking of something, expecting something that they consider to be happiness. When you are excited, you are not peaceful. True happiness is based on peace. There you go, folks. I hope you're happy, and I hope you are excited about this conversation with my friend, Ed Larson. recording i'm here with ed larson who is in a closet yes i am i'm never leaving joe <laughs> <laughs> no where are you you're in los angeles yes i'm in los angeles north hollywood uh i i love it out here it's been nice we used to be neighbors are you in the apartment i'm in the apartment this is your essentially your old apartment same building and I, I say it a lot. I feel like you're not that receptive to it, but we, you're like a God in this house. We're so grateful. We love the apartment. <laughs> I tell the story all the time. And uh, I just bumped into you walking around here in Astoria and you were like, there's another apartment. And I was like, I'll take it. Oh, it was a blessing, man. I hate, I, it was the first time I've had neighbors. I liked in all of my years I lived in New York. Well, it, it's crucial. Uh, neighbors are big in New York. So I hope no one hates us. Somebody, there's a Wi-Fi that pops up when you go to sign into a Wi-Fi. Someone has the Wi-Fi, I hate my fucking neighbors. Oh and, my God. <laughs> yeah, and we're hoping it's not someone in this building. It's someone in the next building over. That's, that's our hope. Or at least we're not the neighbors, I hope. Well, I know it's not your direct neighbors because I'm still in touch with them. The Stantons. Oh, okay. And they don't hate us? They love you. They, Joe, the other Joe is a big fan of you. Oof, that that you makes guys, me feel good. You guys are double Joe. He, you know, he, he's definitely, uh, he's intimidated by your, by your star power. Oh, <laughs> um, <clears throat> yeah, But no, it's probably the people who took my goddamn apartment because the other one is that nice little Greek lady. And, uh, and then, yeah, so it has to be the people who took my apartment that hate you. It's either, it, it could be them. I mean, we're directly underneath them, but did you ever hear Sarah and I sexually specifically? Never, never once. Never Great. Once. All right. <laughs> I don't think it travels up like that. You know, I think, it, I think if anything, you had a chance to hear it us. All right. Uh, and, and hopefully, uh, how was that? Did you ever hear us sexually? We never heard much, but yeah, you can only hear stuff if like furniture's moving. There's not, there's no like TV. There's no sex. If someone like is has like a rolly chair, like an office chair, and rolls around, you can hear that. Mm. Or if you're sliding around like a, a bureau or something. But, um, but that's good to know because I'm always afraid. And this gets into this is a, a a mental health podcast, and I'm afraid. Everybody hates me 100% of the time, all the time. Do you have that at all? Or are you more of a I don't give a fuck guy? I, I'm an I don't give a fuck guy. Uh, I always have been. And I noticed that about you. And it always drove me crazy because you're like the nicest dude I ever met. And there's zero reason to hate you, you know, or even dislike you. I mean, you, you're just kind and gentle and you're always smiling. And 
you know, you, your jokes are hilarious. There's no reason to hate you, Joe. What, have, what's, what, what's wrong with you? Why do you do that? I mean, I'm sure you're in therapy. Or I'm in therapy. I'm in <laughs> AA. I'm in meditation. I'm in everything you can be in. I'm in. I'm in, you know, my wife. I, I'm in it all. But, <laughs> well, I was always intimidated by you guys because you guys came. You were you guys were in like a, you had a sketch thing and you guys were kind of your own thing. You were over here. You guys came from Florida and I wanted you guys to like me and respect me. And I was like, they don't like me. I'm this asshole who's like friends with these guys. I, I don't know what's what, but. I always was a huge fan of yours and murder fist. And I was like, I, I always had that thing of everybody in New York hates me. I'm like a Boston guy. I moved here and everyone hates me. No, I don't know. Ever. No one's from New York. It's like Mike Racine's from New York. And that's about <laughs> it. Like <laughs> everyone else, you know, everyone else is a transplant. You know, I got a problem with Boston. You know, I don't like the sports teams, but you know, that's no reason to hate anybody. You know, but uh, Florida, I love it was different for us in Murder Fist because we were like a traveling pack. There was, you know, at any point there was 10 to 12, 13 of us. You know, there was a, I could see how we would be intimidated. But at the same time, you know, we hated all other sketch groups, you know, for the most part. We, we did not run in the sketch world. We ran in the stand up world because uh, we, we dug the conversation more. Right. Well, I appreciate that. So that makes me feel good. I was a huge fan. I mean, you guys did my birthday one year. It was I had a Murder Fist birthday party, and I loved it. Dude, man, anytime I'm looking for a reason to bring the band back together, I would love to fucking do your birthday party again. And you did. Um, I remember when you did the first. Uh, was it the Honest Papas roast that we threw? Oh, that's right. And I just remember you were so happy. <laughs> the entire the entire roast i had never seen it i was just like this is a genuinely great human being the whole no matter what anyone said you kept turning around to me and be like this is great i'm having a great time <laughs> that was that was that was me when i was drinking when i was drinking and it was good i would always say this is amazing this is great and then i would switch and be like everybody hates me i suck but that that Giannis roast was to me like legendary first of all that was a great time in comedy i mean i was drunk fuck up failure at the time but i also it was like you can know there was no um i don't think anyone videotaped that there's no real recording of that and no. it was before roast battle kind of became huge it was like no one was really roasting at that point that was like yeah it was pretty rare to have a roast and we were all good friends and there was no video camera. Nobody was like, this will be on a Patreon. This will be on YouTube. It was like a genuine, let's go into a, a dark room and, and roast each other. It was a free show. We all did for fun and wrote original material for back, you know, back when we all had did it for the love of the game. Exactly. And I also at that roast got the biggest laugh I've ever gotten any situation ever. And I remember the joke. I had to bail on my set because it killed so hard that I had to end <laughs> And the joke was, um, Giannis Pampas has been called a comedic genius. He wears a dress and says the N-word. Evidently, my mother is a comedic genius. And <laughs> it murdered. I mean, it murdered so hard. And for the record, my mother has never worn a dress or said the N-word. Like, yeah. I just wanted to say that. I don't want to get canceled. But it, 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 the joke just, it killed the hardest I've ever had anything kill. So I had to be like, good night, folks. But it was an amazing roast. And we did one for Nate, too. There was a Nate Bargatze roast that was also great. 
Yes, I wasn't there for that one. I, the ones I threw were the Sean Patton roast the year before, and then we did Giannis, and then we started doing the roundtable people. We did Kevin, Marcus, and Henry, and then that was it. After that, feelings started getting hurt, and it wasn't fun anymore, so we stopped doing them. Yeah, well, roasts can do that. The, 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 the big fear of a roast is always you find out something about yourself that you didn't know. Yeah. He just went and fixed his teeth after his roast because he didn't know he had bad teeth. And then everyone kept writing Marcus's bad teeth jokes. And then like he like made a dentist appointment the next day. Yeah, that's rough. See, I, I feel for those people. And like I, I've been roasted and it's it's herpes this and, and you know, drunk this. But yeah, you don't want to be like this. I have bad breath. What? <laughs> that's never that's never great. Um so anyways, it's great well, to see now now I don't see you as like uh, we talk anxiety a lot on this and therapy. What you seem like a guy again, you don't give a fuck. I don't know how that happens. I'd love for you to teach me that. Are you a yeah. therapy guy? Are you an anxiety guy? Are you anything? Yeah. You're not a great guest, I don't think. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I'd never been to therapy. Uh I I had to do some court mandated therapy. Oh, yeah. For a little while, I had uh, I had group sessions. I, I got arrested for selling weed back in Florida before I knew any of you people, and uh, I had to do some uh, some group therapy once a week, and then solo therapy uh, twice a month for a year, and that was a lot. And uh, and because it was just ever I realized when I was there because I was there for selling weed, and everyone else there was you know there for crack. You know, and like, you know, like doing horrible shit. And I just remember being like, well, you know, at least I know I'm okay. Right. And, uh, and there was this one guy who used to run the therapy session. And his, I can't remember his name. He's a big old guy. And he was like, you know, everyone there is like a recovering addict and a recovering, you know, everyone's, you know, finding their way through life and getting back together. And I remember this one guy, he was a prick to everybody, but he was nice to me. Uh, and he was just really, but he was really rude to everybody. and. He, uh, we show up one day and he's not there. And I was like, Hey, where's Bill? You know? And they're like, Oh, he died. Like apparently the day before he died in front of everybody at the halfway house, Jesus. like, like had like a brain aneurysm or some shit, just like dropped dead in front of everyone. And they had to like, they carry him out of there and they had to tell us all in the middle of the therapy session. And then, uh, <laughs> and then I was like, Oh my God. And then of course we're in the group therapy. And they, they tell us, and we're like, oh, wow, this is insane. And then he's like, Ed? <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I don't think he liked me. I don't know. <laughs> They're like, no, he liked you. And so it was just like, it was like a bizarre thing. So did they, did they want you to talk and say a few words or to, to share yeah. your sadness or something? Yeah, well, they wanted me to give my thoughts, I guess, on what happened or share my sadness, but... I mean, the truth was, I mean, the guy was not, you know, I didn't really like him that much. So it was hard, so it was hard to just be, uh, just be, just be uh, compassionate, especially with a room full of people who hated him. And, uh, but it was still kind of like, you knew he was there because he wanted to help us. Right. You know, like you knew, like, you know, we might not have liked him and he like had a shitty attitude, but he was there because he did want to make the world a better place. And so it was, uh, it was kind of bittersweet when you really thought about it. And so I, uh, and so I said some nice words. I can't remember what they were. And they, like, I remember the guy thanking me afterwards and, uh, you know, just 
spit anything out of your mouth that you could think of. Sure. And, uh, and of course, like back then, like I'm still, I'm doing murder fist in Tallahassee, you know? So it's like, you know, I, I'm probably better with words than most of the drug addicts in the room. Oh, right. Right. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, it was a, it was a very interesting situation, but that's like basically my whole therapy, uh, world. I remember I did solo therapy with the other guy at the office at the halfway house. And, uh, he, after like four sessions, he was like, you don't have to do this anymore if you don't want to. And I was like, thank you very much. I will take you up on that. Oh, that's nice. So what did you talk about when you're in there? Cause that's fascinating to me. First of all, I feel for a therapist who gets the gig of forced mm -hmm. therapy of doing yes. therapy with people that aren't interested in doing therapy. Cause that seems like not an enjoyable gig for him oh, or for I, you. They're all like, you know, it's all, and it's all drug addicts. You know, and everyone right. in there is like a complete drug addict and, you know, had been arrested on a nonviolent crime. The only way you can get into this program is if you didn't have any violence on your record. And so, you know, everyone in there was, uh, they were calm, you know, but there was also a bunch of scary drug dealers too that just never got arrested on a violent crime. You know? Right. <laughs> and so this is also Tallahassee, Florida. And so it's, a, it's an interesting mixture of human beings. It's all, you know, just like straight up, uh, hood gangsters and then dirty rednecks, you know, and it's like this and just scary, scary rednecks. You just swamp people. Right. And, uh, and this was, and, I, and I'm just a, a kid from Boca Raton who's trying to go to college. And uh, we're all in the same therapy session together. <laughs> now, when you grew up, were you like a, a run wild, crazy kid or what was going on there? Were you kind of a, a re rebellious or when did you get into weed and all that shit? Um, I was, it was interesting. I, w I went through all the cycles, to be honest with you. I started out in Catholic school, which I fucking hated. And I went there from like kindergarten to sixth grade and I had no friends uh, I didn't know anybody and I was like friends with like three kids and I hated it. I couldn't stand it. We were poorer than everyone else and I was bigger than everyone else. And so they all kind of like made fun of me. I had cooties you know, I was, you know, it was, it was, it was a mess. And so I eventually I told my parents, I want to go to public school. And uh, I remember threatening to fail on purpose if they wouldn't <laughs> let me go to public school. Hell yeah. And, and then my mom was furious and I like, it was easy to convince my dad. I was just like, I want to go to free school. So you can send me to free school and you don't have to pay however much you're paying for St. Joan of Arc anymore. You know, just send me to free school. I want to wear my own clothes. I want to go where like people are normal and shit. And so I ended up going to free school. And then for the first like year, I like came out of my shell in different ways. At first, like I realized that you know, if I got into a fight, it didn't really matter that much. You know, if I got into like a little, a little scuffle, it was okay. And then, uh, and, and then I started to like make, and after that, after I went through that dirty phase, by the time I got to high school, uh, I started becoming friends with everybody. And then I like led the pep rallies and I was friends with the jocks and the nerds and the, the theater kids. And I was doing theater and I was doing the morning announcements and you know, and it was, uh, it was, it was very, high school was, uh, was very good for me, which is, which is rare for people, I think. Yeah, that, that sounds similar to me as far as the high school thing. First of all, good for you for having the ability to assert yourself and saying, I'm not going to school here anymore. Yeah. I don't want to go to school to stand up to your parents and also to come up with a plan of action if they didn't go for what you wanted. I love 
Yeah. Like, I'll sabotage this whole fucking family. I don't care. I'll be in school forever. You know, like, <laughs> like I will fail on purpose. Right. It was also my plan for military school if they wanted to send me there. And I was just like, I was like, I will not, I will not do good on purpose. And I will do it for as long as I have to until you take me out. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's great. Well, I feel similarly with high school. Once I got to high school or, or more specifically, I, I think, I guess a little bit freshman year, but once I got into sophomore, junior year of high school, I started to realize, and this is the only time I really had this in my life, I think, was like, I didn't give a fuck. I saw everything so clearly. I was like, this is all a joke, but also wonderful. And I liked having an audience every day and seeing everybody every day. And I was also like the, the big sports paint my face at the football games. I was friends with the athletes and I was run up and down the sidelines and go fucking nuts. And I threw a, um, a tailgate party before school one time where me and some friends got to high school at like seven in the morning. So we were tailgating when everyone got in there and the announcements, all that stuff. I didn't do theater cause I'm not a, a complete loser, but I did all the other stuff. And, um, but I really felt like, Oh man, I'm, this is it. I get it. I, I had an audience and I liked everybody and I got along with everybody. It was pretty fantastic. So I was similar there. It's crazy. Cause I never even thought of doing comedy till it accidentally happened to me. And I didn't even realize looking back now, like I'm hosting these pep rallies. There's 2000 people and it's me with a microphone. I have no I concept that that's even like me doing time or like, you know, like hosting a show or anything. It's just me jerking off in front of my friends and it just happened to be, you know, these huge crowds. And when I look back on it, I'm like, I'll, I never going to play for those size crowds for. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and it's a totally bizarre thing to me that I was just like, I just flopped and just did it. And I don't, I don't know where it came from or like where that energy like came out of me, but it, it worked. And so, then, uh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to ask. So there wasn't then too much residual from going to Catholic school and being kind of picked on and feeling like an outcast. You did that didn't fuck you up or you didn't carry that or maybe it fucked you up, but not too bad or something. Basically like the last year I was in Catholic school, I got a couple of new friends in my neighborhood where I lived and they basically showed me that I didn't have to take shit from everybody anymore. You know, like, it's like, you're big. You can right. not take shit. You can defend yourself. And then we got into like, we spent like a summer getting into a million fights. And I, then I, I kind of like at the end of it, I was just like, Oh, fuck these kids at Catholic school. Fuck these teachers. I don't believe in God. Like I knew like at a very young age, I didn't believe in God. I remember like, same crying about it to my mom. Like, it's just like, it's like, it doesn't make sense. So anyone could have written it, you know? Like, <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> so like, it's, I used to have to go to like a uh, confession uh, once a week in a Catholic school. And I got to the point where it's just like, I'm lying to the priest trying to like create sins that I didn't commit, you know, just so I had something to confess, you know, as I was just like, I was like, what am I even doing here? I hate all of this. And then, and I ended up like, I got into a couple of fights at Catholic school and it didn't fly over there. And right. by the end of the year, I was just like, can you please just take me out of this fucking hellhole that I obviously hate. And uh, they did. And it, once I, it, then I started playing football and I started like developing community a little bit and I realized, oh, okay, people actually like me. 
and you know it's like i have friends now and i you know it's like it's like oh okay so now i can i can get past of that classism shit that i was dealing with at this hoity-toity boca raton catholic school and i can just hang out with the normal kids and it was great for me i like was for the first time ever i'm talking to girls i'm taking my shirt off because i'm fat from birth you know like and just like (laughs) right and uh it was uh it was great man i can't i can't recommend public school more for anyone who's having problems inside of private school they just just flip the script on it completely because like honestly what are you paying for you know if you if everyone if you're losing your mind and you don't and you can't make it and you're not getting along with everyone what's the fucking point right yeah, I was a public school guy, and what's funny—I didn't even know anybody that went to um, private school or Catholic school. Which is funny because I'm from Massachusetts, and there's—it's all Catholics up there. But mm-hmm. we were all public school, and I loved it. I remember—I've told this story before somewhere, but I remember um, I just loved high school, and my friends—we loved it. It was such a great time. And my friend had a band, and we were at his his band's show, and there was other kid that was in a band from our high school, and he was like. Uh, who goes to Whitman Hanson high school? And we all did. So we went, yeah. And he was like, who thinks it fucking sucks. And then I remember it got like a very tepid response. We were all like, ah, it's pretty good. I don't know. I don't, I don't mind it. Like we're kind of like, ah, that's school. Like he like wanted to be like that, like fuck this school. And we were kind of like, ah, I don't know. There's a courtyard. It's pretty deep. I got to say kind of on topic, you know, if I can blow a little smoke up your ass. Please. Uh, I I watch that stupid college game day commercial like five times a year <laughs> that you're in. It oh, is thanks. so funny. You were like, you just completely destroyed that character. Oh, thank you. And, and uh, you nailed it, man. I, I know it's only like 10 seconds long, but it's like, a, it's the funniest thing in the world to me. I was I legitimately would love it if it wasn't you. And uh, you you kill me. Oh. I, put it, I put it on for happiness. Oh, thank you. I appreciate. It. I should pull that off of YouTube. If people want to see it, you can go to YouTube. I think it's ESPN Bevo or something like that. But yeah, you steal the the Longhorn mascot. You try yeah. to talk to the school cops into letting you go. Yeah, that's right. Well, and I forgot about that. I got the first commercial I ever went out for was a Captain Morgan commercial, and I got it. And then the third commercial, oh, the fourth, the fourth commercial I ever went out for was that commercial and I got that one and then I never got anything again. Man, I booked three nationals and none of them went to air. You believe oh. that shit? I booked three different nationals in like Bank of America, Nike, and Carnival Cruise Lines filmed all of them and not one of them went to fucking air. That it's sucks. So, I, it's so aggravating. And so oh, one of the Nike commercial went to air. They just cut me out of it. Oh, that's so obviously it's like, uh, how am I in the Nike commercial anyway? But, you know. <laughs> um, so you go. So how does it come to you? You graduate high school, and did you go to college at all? How did you start getting into went, comedy? How'd that go? I followed a b- bunch of my friends were going to Tallahassee. They all started going to Florida State. So I'm like, I'll go move to Tallahassee. And so I, I went up and I started going to TCC. And um, my parents weren't well off. We were like, we were the family that went poor trying to live with the rich people. Right. You know? And so like we like right before I went to college, my dad, uh, like, I guess, had spent a lot of money and wasted a lot of his money and needed my college fund, uh, like like literally months before I went to college. And so I, I lost my college fund and just went up to college and I started working and going to college. And I found myself like skipping class to 
you know, go to work so I could pay for my books. You know, it was like, I was like, what am I even fucking doing here? So I just started hanging out and, and I basically, I only took one class for three years in community college and that was journalism. And I wrote for the school paper and I didn't do anything else other than writing for the school paper and working at Hooters <laughs> and, and selling weed. And then, so I was just like, you know, I'm out, I'm done. I'm quitting school. This is not for me, obviously. I shouldn't be doing it. And then now I'm just living in Tallahassee, enjoying my life. And then uh, I start hanging out with these theater kids over Florida State because Florida State has like a really good theater program. I don't know if many people know that, but it's like one of the best in the nation. Wow. And so I start hanging out with all these theater kids, you know, because I sell them weed. And they're like, they're, put, they're like, oh, we're putting on this show this weekend. You should come check it out. And there was in a group called Girls Aren't Funny. And uh, they and I went and saw their show. It was in Holden McNeely's parking lot, wow. and it was fucking hilarious. And I was screaming, laughing the whole time, and I was having such a good time. And I just remember at the end of the show, I was just like, "So I do this with you now, right?" It's just like it's <laughs> <laughs> so a weird. Like I'm in the group, and you're the group, and we're together. And I got weed, so you can't tell me no. And uh, and then uh, very next, then we had a meeting, and we changed the name to Murder Fist. And uh, I, then we just did it in Tallahassee for years until we uh, moved to New York together. And we all decided we didn't want to uh, disperse and stop doing it. Wow. And, you know, is Murderfist still going now? I mean, in a way, you know, we haven't performed in like years, but none of us will actually say that it's over. Right. And uh, I know that in two years is the 20th anniversary. So I know that me and Henry and Jackie and Holden are talking about putting together a big show for that. But um, for the most part, I mean, we haven't performed together in years. But me and Henry, and we were all over the podcast network. It's like evolved in a way. Right. You know, and some of the guys still do sketch with Holden on Twitch. And, you know, we all performed together on the last podcast network. And me and Henry started a, a stand-up show out in L.A. called Classy Night Out. And so we still get to be on stage together a lot. And it's, uh, it's nice. It, it will come back eventually. We, but it's not uh, right now. It is not moving forward yeah this isn't a great time for sketch comedy no uh, <laughs> this isn't this is not let's all get together and, and spit blood on each other kind of uh, yeah. uh stuff murder <laughs> yeah, was definitely not covid friendly no no i don't think it was anything friendly other than comedy uh it was a wild show and, and, and now people that don't know is there can people find all the stuff on youtube and everything there's a lot of murder fist videos on youtube you can check out there's some live stuff that's really old and they're like and then there's uh some other stuff some other film stuff on there that we did uh when we tried to put a pilot presentation together that just ended up not happening because we were all fucking drunks and so <laughs> couldn't get the job done and so but uh but we we did get the job done it was just two years too late right yeah. so uh, let's let's bring this into uh i'm fascinated by because even if you don't have anxiety or depression i want to know what's your experience with those or dealing with it or have you had dabs dabs of of anxiety or depression or and if and if not how how did you what is this disposition? How, is it your parents? Is it what, what happened? Is it the weed? How did you get to be such a jovial guy? It is not my parents. My dad, was, <laughs> my dad just wanted to be alone all the time. He did not want to spend time with anyone, including me and my mother. He was always away on business. He had 
lots of other girlfriends and stuff like that. And my mom was a worry ward. And I just met and I used to fight like hell with both of them as much as I do love them. You know, we used to like, you know, despite their flaws, like we used to fight like hell. And I just remember thinking at a young age, it's like, I don't want to be like that. And I don't want to be like that. Right. So whenever I felt like those urges coming on, I would just like get myself out of the situation or just like refuse the emotion kind of, you know, like, uh, like I get anxiety. Of course we get anxiety. We're, we are constantly put in like insane situations, right. you know, it being uh, in the entertainment industry, you know, it's like all of a sudden, you know, we're at parties like, yeah, we're all friends and we all like each other, but we're all going after like the same work and the same jobs. And every situation is a work, is a work situation. And so no matter where you are at any time, cause you never know who you're going to meet. And it's, it gets very intense and very, and very anxiety inducing. And I don't do well at like comedy central parties and stuff right. like that. I'm always like, my brain's going 10 different ways. Uh, I probably have too much of the free alcohol and, mm. you know, and I, it's just, it's very anxiety inducing. And whenever I feel like the anxiety taking over and I don't want to talk to anyone, I just remove myself from the situation. And I just leave early. I'll, I'll just head out, you know, and just, and just deal with it later. And, you know, and I think that really helps me is because I'm not trying to force a conversation when I know I'm mentally incapable of having it. Right. Yeah. That's, that's good stuff. And that's, I do a very similar thing, but then what happens for me, cause I'm a big leave guy. And I, I tell this story all the time when I was first, thinking about getting sober wanting to get sober i was talking to gary gullman uh the great comedian past guest who i might have told the story when he was on the show but he's not sober but he just never was a drinker but he was telling me i was talking to him and i was like but what do i do because i was making my case for why i should keep blacking out every night and i was like <laughs> i was like but what do i do if i'm at a party and i just hate everybody what do i do then and then he was like you go home and it was like a moment of clarity. I was like, oh, <laughs> like it never occurred to me. I was like, oh, I see. I leave. But it was a thing. I do have the anxiety. And this is, do you have this at all? Like, I have the anxiety of like, this is why I'm not doing better. This is why I'm not further. Cause I don't, I don't schmooze. I don't do the thing. But I also have this pride in avoiding that. I'm like, I'm not one of these guys that's trying to climb. I don't want to be a climber. But then I also am like, fuck, I, I would like to make more money. Well, yes, we all want to make more money. And I try not to put more on my plate than I know I can handle. And I should push. I do feel like I should push myself harder than I do. But at the same time, I find that my mental stability is way more important than any amount of money. And so I try not to make myself uh, crazy about I used to live with Dan St. Germain and I would watch him just work all night. And just type and type and type and type and type all night long. And just like not once did a smile come across his face. And I was like, this, there's no way this is funny, you know? But like now he's a very successful television writer. And he's like, he's got so much money in the bank. And he's got a beautiful wife. And he's like, his life is actually together. And I like, I, which is unbelievable to me. And, uh, and so I look at that and I was like, okay, so maybe if I would have put myself through that hell that he did you know, I would be much further along. But then in my mind, I'm like, well, that's not 
fun. And that's also not why I got into this game. I got into this game to enjoy my life and, and you know, and, and have a better time. And so I almost take like a, a money tax to, yeah. uh, you know, have a, have a better disposition. <laughs> yeah, that's great. I feel, I feel very similarly um, with a couple close friends who are just constantly writing, constantly working, and I just can't do it. I have to take days off, weeks off, nights off and, yeah. and moments off. But I always think about, um, I use the analogy. I'm a big movie guy, obviously, but there's a scene in casino where, I just uh, watched it. where Pesci goes, he's like a million times. I wanted to say, we're supposed to be robbing this place. You Jew motherfucker. What he says, but that's yeah. how I feel with comedy. I'm like, we're supposed to be robbing that. Like we're supposed to be getting away with something. The whole yes. idea of comedy is we're beating the system. We're not, yeah. there's no alarm clock. We're not waking up. So I talk to these guys that are like, I get up at 7 a.m. and I write for two hours. And I'm like, we're supposed to be robbing the place. <laughs> like, what, <laughs> what are you doing? Have some fun. <laughs> Fucking throw it all on 48 or whatever. Yeah, no. And half of my comedy, I believe, just comes from me having a good time. And I feel like if you're not having a good time on stage, it's very rare that the audience will. You know, and so I, I always try to like have a good disposition. I try to like keep it positive. I'm very, I'm very focused on finding the positive in any negative situation. And it's, uh, I think it's really helped me out. And I actually got this advice from my cousin, Jeff. Uh, Jeff Ross is my cousin, if you don't know. Uh, it, I got this from him very early on and it stuck with me and it's enjoy the process. Whatever it is, you know, if you're being a dick and you're not enjoying the process, I guess who's not getting hired for season two? You know, right. like it's, you know, so be good, you know, enjoy what you're doing and have fun doing it. Or, you know, it's just, you're not coming back. No one's going to want to be around you. And right. that's what we're doing. We're party starters. Right. You know, like, <laughs> like that's like, we're keeping it going. We're trying to get people laid. You know, we're like, you know, it's, it's what, it's what it is. It's what comedy is. It's, it's a relief where, you know, and if I'm up there stressed out and freaking out all the time, no one's going to be relieved when they're seeing the show. And so it's, it's uh it's not good for business. And so I, I, I keep it positive as much as possible. Right. Yeah. That's helpful. And it helps me to, to hear, to remind myself because I try to do that and I've tried to do that my whole life. And that's what I was so successful at in high school. That's when I was the most successful at it. Cause I was like, what are we doing? We're in high school. What the fuck? Granted I had like the worst grades and uh, really failed off the track team at one point, but I had a great time and I look back and the memories are great, but um, no, that's really nice to hear and refreshing. And I think that's something that people can take, to all their jobs, whatever job that you're doing is, is enjoy it and try to be pleasant to be around. I'm always fascinated by these guys that we know, we all know that are like, yeah, I'm a dick. That's my thing. Where you're like, what? <laughs> you're going with that? That's your thing? It's like, yeah, I'm like an asshole. But, but people will say they're like, that guy's an asshole, but he embraces it. Like, that's like, he embraces it. That's just, I'm like, why is that fun? Why is that acceptable? Yeah. I mean, well, because, you know, assholes need uh, to feel like they're a part of a group, too. <laughs> so, <laughs> so his audience is a bunch of fucking pricks. And, uh, you, and you know, and you realize that whenever you do their show, you're like, oh, OK, that's the people that are here. And right. someone will be rude to me at the bar and uh, <laughs> I'll go home mad. And, right. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, that's the important thing to remember is you kind of, you kind of get back what you put out. And that's why I love this show, because this show, the fans are like so 
crazy nice. Like the reviews on iTunes of the show are like, well, make me cry. It's like so touching and, and thoughtful. So I actually do is that I didn't know this show existed. I feel so awful, but I do. My show is very similar. The brighter side. I don't think we've ever had you on, but I do a positivity podcast with Amber Nelson on last podcast network for years now. And the fans just love it. Because everyone's so fucking negative and complaining about shit all the time. It's just like, can't we just find some fucking good in the world for two seconds? You know, and so it's just, it's good. It helps. And um, you, ha- you got to realize that there's always going to be something good to come out of every horrible situation. Right. I gotta, I'm going to listen to that podcast because I love Amber. And I have to have Amber on this podcast too. She's one of my favorite. I mean, first of all, one of the funniest people I've ever seen or met. Oh my God. It's such a treat working with her. Yeah, she's great. And uh, oh, shit, I forget what I was going to say. Right. Oh, that's what I was. I was just talking to my buddy about this right before this. And I was talking to my therapist about it. This time right now is so hard because, you know, you talk about people being bummed. Normally in the old days, you'd get down and you'd call a couple people and they'd be like, ah, come on, my help, blah, blah, blah. Now it feels like movies. You go. Yeah. You go do something fun. Yeah. Everyone I talk to now, it's like, ah, the election and, and COVID and this. And so it feels like across the board, everybody unanimously is just bummed out. And like, I don't know where we're headed with the winter and the surge and the fucking fires and the race and the thing. It, it's a difficult time having everyone so down. So this is refreshing. It's an impossible time for mental health right now. And as positive as I like to stay at least twice a week, I'm like incapacitated with fucking <laughs> you know, just grief and just, you know, just general malaise, you know, just like, I don't even care about shit. I just like sit there and watch shit that I don't even like compute into my brain. It's just like on the screen so I can have something to look at. And this is a really tough time. I mean, divorce is up, suicides up, you know, shit's real. You know, this is not, you know, it's, it's interesting because COVID obviously is very real. And it would kill me. My parents are diabetics. I have sleep apnea. Uh, so, like, if I got it, it would kill me. But, like, I, I think I would fucking kill an animal to go to a movie right now. And just, like, right, be, right. just be in the theater. Just go to a restaurant and, like, or go to a comedy show and just hang with my friends. Everything's right. so complicated. And it's just, and it's, uh, you know, it's like, I just, like, I'm a hugger, you know? And it's just like, and it's like, and so I get a lot of my life force from that. And it's just like, you know, it's so upsetting what we're all going through. And what I try to do is I don't cheat myself out of the emotion, out of the negative emotion. I, I embrace it. And if I'm all fucked up and I'm sad and I'm not, and I can tell that I'm not going to get out of it anytime soon, I'll put on some sad music and, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know, <laughs> like, and, right, I'll, and right. I'll just like, also, I'll look at some old photo albums and like, I'll, I'll go, I'll, I'll get into it. And I'll, you, you, I feel like a lot of people when they get depressed or they're experiencing grief, they try to uh, not have the emotion. And I think that that's the wrong thing to do. I think that you, you have to have it. And if you hide it, then you're, it's just going to fuck you in the long run. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I was listening to a podcast earlier. I'm I'm so obsessed with all like Buddhism and and meditation and all this stuff. And and that's exactly right. That's what they all talk about is like saying yes to the feeling instead of 
resistance is where all the suffering comes from and being like, no. And what we end up doing is going into habits and usually bad habits of eating too much or looking at social media or getting in a fight with someone on Twitter or talking to our spouse about some cunt at the grocery store or whatever. And none of that really, and all of that really under the surface, you're just like, oh, I'm sad because my dad hasn't called and uh, I, I want to go to the movies or whatever it is. And oh I, got a, God. I got a buddy who always says, uh, he's like, sometimes the difference between a good day and a bad day is a nap and a sandwich. And I'm like, I have to remember that of like, let me just rest yeah. for a few minutes and, and make a peanut butter and jelly and maybe I'll feel a little better. But I Honestly. do think- yeah, like going into it and and accepting it and kind of being in those feelings and emotions is helpful and more productive, actually. Yeah, and never make a big decision on an empty stomach. I like that's that. A, yeah, that's something my dad taught me. And obviously, I don't make any big decisions or any decision. But I, I, I eat to decide what I'm going to eat. but it also does help me though to hear you say that that you get down or you stare at the tv and it doesn't even get through because i was just going through that but i have this thing sometimes compare and despair as we say where i'll like think i'm like oh ed's just having a great time he's just sitting in the closet doing a podcast he's got a sock on his mic nothing's bothering him so it feels good (laughs) to hear that like okay even even ed larson gets fucking bummed out and feels some despair yeah, man. I mean, of course. I mean, we all have shit that happens to you. And anytime you sit down and you think longer than three minutes, you're going to come across something sad. And, right. you know, and like also like shit is so fucked up right now. If anyone who's just like happy all the time, you, you keep an eye out on them. Because <laughs> <So, laughs> that ain't right. You know, it's like it is awful. And you are allowed to be sad. And don't think for a second you're not allowed to be sad. And some people are sadder longer than other people. And other people have like legitimate mental problems and need medication and they have to go to the doctor and that needs to happen. I'm very fortunate that at this point in my life, I don't have to, but I've been dealing with a lot lately, you know, just like just the isolation and all that shit. Uh, whereas like, I really want to start therapy, but I uh, truthfully have no idea how to even begin the process. Right. Yeah. It's, it was, it's hard to start therapy these days too, because every therapist is, is booked and everyone wants to be in therapy. Like my therapist is like, I'm overwhelmed. He's like, I, I can't take on any more people. Cause I've asked him about a couple people and he's just like, I'm overly booked. And he's like, every therapist I know is overbooked right now. Yeah. So I think there's talk space. I know that's a, I think we do an advertisement on my other podcast, Talkspace. You can find license. Okay. I don't want to get too into it because. No, no, no. Just shoot me with it. <laughs> the stories. Uh, 2020 is the. Yeah. yeah I'll find, off. I'll get you a code. Yeah. I'll email it to you, <laughs> but um, there are ways. Um, but I do want to, cause this conversation is flying by. I want to talk about your film. You made a film. Yeah. which probably plays into a lot of what we're talking about. I imagine tell tell me about the movie and uh, yeah, just tell me about it. So I made a documentary with Travis Irvine. Uh, oh, I love Travis about how he's the director. He was uh, honestly, the movie wouldn't have got done if it wasn't for Travis. And uh, it's called how America killed my mother. And it's about the death of my mother and uh, everything that we went through as, cause I'm an only child. My parents are divorced at 20 you know, so it was just me and my mom. And when I decided to move to New York with all of Murderfist, uh, my family's from New Jersey. So I basically told my mom, hey, you're moving to Jersey. 
you're going to go live by your sister. You're going to be an hour and a half away. And so we came up and we're, we're in it together. You know, I live in New York. She lives in Jersey, but we're in it together. We help each other out with bills and, and everything, but you know, she's a brittle diabetic as well. On top of all this, she was a diabetic since the day I was born and things just like it starts really taking a toll on her, uh, on her body, on her wallet. She's working uh, three jobs, you know, and she shouldn't be health wise. Like she just like, shouldn't be working that much, but she was in that horrible little limbo where, you know, you're too, uh, you're too sick to, <clears throat> you're too sick to, uh, to work, but you're not unhealthy enough not to work. According right. to the government. And so she had to work and she had night jobs and she was working 70, 80 hour day work weeks, 10, 20 an hour, nothing, making no money. You know, it's just like, just like just grinding and grinding and grinding, working Christmas, Thanksgiving, all that shit. And she had this, um, and she, and through all that and through all of her bills and all of her trouble, um, in order to like make ends meet, because I don't know if you know this, Joe, you know how much it costs to be a diabetic for a year on average in America? $16,000 a year. That my mom's making $32,000 a year. It, the money doesn't add up. There's not enough to live. And plus my mom likes to have fun. She likes to give gifts, you know, she likes sure. to, you know, be a human being. And, you know, so we, over time, you know, she developed a, a gambling problem. And because one time before we moved to New York, uh, she was working, she was going to the Hard Rock Casino in, in South Florida, and she got a Royal Flush, and she had a little extra chip down uh, that says, if you get a Royal Flush, you win $15,000, and she won $15,000, and it was wow. amazing. And we all, and we got to move to New York on that money. I got to live in New York for a month and a half with no job and just kind of like, adjust to the city and you know it was it was a godsend we probably wouldn't have been able to do it without it. and then the problem is that became the answer for her so whenever things started getting a little tight she'd run and spend a bunch of money at the casino and it never worked out again you know and so it just ended up being like money 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 every fucking time and the thing other thing with being a diabetic is when your sugar drops below a certain point, which my mom was a type of diabetic where her sugar would drop more than it would go high. And whenever it drops below a certain amount, you get brain damage, like a little bit of brain damage, you know, it's just like a little bit here, a little bit there. And then after 30 something years, it really fucking adds up. And so the last, last year of her life, you know, she didn't know much of what was going on. You know, something like, I remember having a conversation with her and she didn't know where Europe was at one point, you know? So it's just like, okay. And this is a woman, driving with three jobs, right. you know? So it's right. like, okay, let's, you know, let's, let's start to rein this in here. And, you know, I just starting to comedy's just starting to pop for me. I'm doing the burn. I, I got, you know, roast battle, you know, I'm getting some good money coming in. And, uh, and then she just like, every time it seemed like every time I got a paycheck, she went and lost thousands of dollars at the casino and I had to cover for her. And so we never got out of the hole and we were never able to, to get anything. And then her job, they, they switch insurances on her and she's got this glucose monitor and her new insurance, which was good for everyone else that worked there, except for my mom. Cause my mom was the only diabetic. She's got a glucose monitor and the, basically the insurance company, Medicare uh, said that if we want to keep the, the, the glucose monitor, we got to give them $800. This is a machine she's had for years. Basically, right. if her sugar drops, it beeps, and she knows she's got to eat some sugar 
her glucose tablet and it'll or drink some orange juice and it'll come right back up and she'll be normal. And so they wanted 800 bucks. And it was a point where it's like 800 bucks might as well have been like $5,000 to us, at right. the moment, you know, at that time. And so we had to give the machine back. And then that's how she died. She, her sugar dropped when she was sleeping and nothing woke her up. Jesus. You know, so it was just like, when I look at that and I look at like the banks with the overdraft fees and then bouncing checks at the casinos and the way the casinos would manipulate the way that you would, that, that they deposited the checks so they can get the most, uh, you know, fees out of it. Cause they don't want you to write a good check. They, right. they, that doesn't make them any money. You know, they want you to write a bounce check cause that way, they can collect all the fees every time they try and deposit it. And my mom used to go to Trump Taj Mahal all the time because she was Atlantic City and, you know, you grow up and that was where everyone went growing up and stuff like that. And so she used to always go there at a habit. And I remember like after she passed away, I was like, okay, I'm going to go like confront them and like try and settle these debts, you know, and like, yeah. I'm just, like I'm going to pay my mom's bills and stuff like that. And so I go there and they won't take your money. You're not allowed to pay your debts at the casino. You have to literally mail checks to Las Vegas to pay your Atlantic City gambling debts. And like the only way they'll take your money down there is if you put it on the table and bet on something. You know, like it's the only and it's like and it's so manipulated. And my mom, I, I find out the last week of her life, she's not in her right state of mind. Obviously, it's the last week of her life. And she had passed out in the casino and was brought to the hospital. They wouldn't give me the fucking incident report. They wouldn't like, it was just like the whole thing was so gross and manipulating. And then the banks like with like not giving back overdraft fees. And then I look it up and I find out that in 2017 banks made $34 billion in overdraft fees. American banks made $34 billion in overdraft fees. That's $34 wow. billion from the poorest people in this fucking country. And you know, it's, it's just not right. It's just a wrong way to do business. And it's, it should be illegal. It's pred it's all predatory. And then I look at my mom's situation and I was like, this can't be the only person this is happening to. Right. It has to be happening thousands of times a day all across this fucking country. And, you know, someone's got to say something, you know, so it's like, when do we stop? Like, like forget politics. Like humanity has to come in at some point. <laughs> You would hope, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like, like, it's just like it, would, it would have to. And like it's and it just never did for my mom. And she like in the last five years of her life for fucking hell. And she didn't deserve it. She was a good woman, a nice person. She always treated me well. She loved bringing people gifts. She loved like anytime kids couldn't make it home for Christmas that were stuck in New York. She always took them in, like the murder fist guys, Marcus Parks. You know, they would all come stay with me for Christmas, you know, Kissel, all that shit. Yeah. And, and it's just like, she's a good woman that didn't deserve what happened to her. And I was fucking furious. And so I took the insurance, her life insurance money. And I, I was like, you know what, let's make this movie. And I want to tell this story. And so I wa wasted the life insurance <laughs> money <laughs> on making this movie. And, um, and that's it. And it's out now. And I took quarantine to edit it with Travis. And that really fucked with me mentally. Yeah. I was like, whenever I'm popping out of quarantine, I'm like talking to all my friends going through crazy shit, going through breakups, 
you know, going through everything. And then I'm like, I'm talking people off the ledge left and right. And then I go and then I'm like, okay, all right, I'm glad everything's okay. And then I go back and start editing this movie about my dead mother, you know, and it's just <laughs> like, it's like my fucking mind was gone. I'm so happy this thing is done. I just really want it to be out in the world and we're pushing it hard. Um, I just wanted people to see it before this fucking election. Yeah, fuck yeah. And, so and I, where 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 do they see it? Where can they find it? Well, you can go to howamericakillmymother.com or it's available on Vimeo uh, for rental or purchase. Uh, you can rent it for $3.99 or you could buy it for $6.99. And uh, it's, it's, uh, it'll be up until after the election and then we're going to take it down. And uh, we'll see if we can't uh, put it somewhere else after that. But I just like, I had to get it out before. I was like, honestly, if I change four votes, I'm fucking, it's worth it to me. You know, because it's just like there has to be some sort of accountability for people ripping off the poor. And they're just right now, if you rip off a poor person, you're considered successful. And that shit grosses me out to an extent that like I can't like I like I'm already like tearing up. I get so fucking mad when people take advantage of weak people. Yeah, of course. And, and it just I it was like watching it happen to my mom is like worse than watching it happen to a stranger. Now, whenever I see it happen to a stranger, I just think about my mom and then I get enraged. Yeah, sure. No, they're bullies. Now, do you have a Florida vote still by any chance? No. Damn no, it. No, no, I'm in California. <laughs> that was the other thing when my mom passed away. I lost my second vote because she would just vote for whoever I told her. <laughs> sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and so she was in Jersey, and so I lost my New Jersey vote. Right. Uh, but uh, now, uh, yeah, I'm in California, so not much, uh, you know, I'll, I'm going to vote, but, you know, I don't know how much it's going to change anything. But I have a lot of friends down in Florida. I have a lot of Republican friends down in Florida, and they all love my mother. And so I'm making sure I'm like literally hitting like my high school friends up that I haven't talked to in years with direct messages and promo codes just to make sure they fucking watch the movie. Yeah, that's just, great. Yeah, no, because I'm just, you know, furious oh my god do you see the woman running for the representative of palm beach county laura no. loomer this is like where i grew up the woman running is a fucking she's a QAnon person and like, oh i did hear to, that trying to deport muslims and this is like it's like she's gonna become a representative no one because i talked to my friends down there and they're like i'm like do you know who she is laura loomer no one knows who the fuck she is they never heard of her and so it's just like this is this is a nightmare this is like so things are gonna things can start getting real crazy real fast if we don't all start just chipping in and doing a little extra yeah it's obviously it shows us that like you can't just let it ride <laughs> yeah yeah no totally well yeah get on those florida friends those florida votes are huge it's uh i think it's like evenish there now according to polls but who knows what goes on with the i got a lot of people polls. in ohio and new jersey too so i'm fighting i'm going for it yeah, fuck yeah. I always want to get, I always think comedians, we should all like get a house in uh, Ohio or Florida and then just all put our names on it. And, uh, That's you know, a phenomenal idea. I love it. There's like, yeah, it's 20 of us. We all live there and uh, we got to, you know, <laughs> start getting some votes. A timeshare. If we all got, if we got, honestly, if we got 20 people together and we got a timeshare in Ohio or North Carolina, it'd be a nice place for us all to go vacation. We wouldn't want to fuck it up because we all love each other. And so we wouldn't want the other person to have to clean up our mess. I mean, this is actually a very solid idea, Joe. It's not bad. Yeah, we got to start cheating. They cheat. We got to cheat, too. It's get fucking weird. That's like, that's the truth. It's like, that's what I was, I'm so scared about Biden. I don't think he's willing to play dirty. And it's like, this is not a clean fight. 
This is the- <laughs> I know he did all weekend. I mean, this is, by the way, this is where my, the fans of this podcast go from being nice to being like, Hey, what the fuck was that part at the end? Um, <laughs> but no, he came out and he's like, I'm not going to do any negative ads. I'm not going to say anything negative while Trump is in the hospital. And I'm like, Big mistake. Kick him when he's down. <laughs> oh, yeah. Are you crazy? Put Go unplug his shit. Yeah. Fucking the, the villain's about to get up. You know, like Michael Myers is not dead. He's not. <laughs> yeah. Well, they see Sarah's uh Sarah's family is from Houston. She's from Houston and her mother still lives there. Her family lives there. And in Humble County, which is where Houston is, there's one drop-off location for five million people. It's unbelievable. Houston, that whole uh was it the 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 East Valley East River Valley or something like that down there is oh uh, the gerrymandering yeah just everything down there is insane you know like down by the border in Brownsville in between Brownsville and Houston are checkpoints so you can't drive north there's only one highway and so you can't if you're an illegal immigrant and you want to drive north you you can't because they check every car and make sure that you're an American citizen if you look brown. And there's, I talked to people down there because we did a special from Brownsville when we roasted immigrants. And oh, I uh, yeah, and we, uh, I remember meeting this guy, who he was married, but like for some reason his citizenship hadn't come through yet, and his wife was sick with cancer and in the hospital in Houston, and he couldn't go visit her because he would get deported if he did. And like this is like it's like we can't keep calling ourselves the best country on earth when that type of shit happens when the shit that happens to my mom happened like it's very hard for me to sit here and say america's the best country i don't want to live anywhere else i love my country with every ounce of my heart and i refuse to move but like it's like we are not the best right now and right it, it, it needs to there needs to be a major step forward or this whole thing's going to fucking unravel. Yeah, it's a rebuilding year. We're rebuilding. We gotta, we're got we hoping for a high draft pick. Um, <laughs> we're, we're tanking so we can get the best the number one pick. Uh, and by the way, Biden is not the number one pick, but we'll, we'll take him. We'll take what we have available. This guy, you're like, he's whatever. That's a whole other topic. I, I, I mean, the whole thing, I mean, we were caught. We fucked up with when Obama was in office. Like all of us liberals, we were like, oh, okay, it's done. You know, everything's fine. And we ignored everything and didn't, and didn't like hold, hold them accountable. And everything was fucked up. There was so much police violence back then. It hasn't changed. Uh, he's doing drone strikes all over the world. Uh, you know, there's like healthcare got barely better. You know, and so it's just like, it's like we need to make sure, not only do we have to make sure Biden gets elected, we have to make his life miserable once it is. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how long that life's going to last once he's in there, but we'll see. I, I give him a good three weeks. I mean, anything, just I, like literally anything. I, I'll take it. I just, honestly, it's just so hard for me. Like I can't fake it. I try to like, look at both sides and I, I really, you know, like, I have lots of Trump people in my family and, we have constructive conversations. I, I, you know, I have constructive conversation with plenty of police. I've done work with the Boston Police Department, who's surprisingly well, uh, surprisingly well put together. And, uh, and so, so, so I understand the other side, but I have a personal vendetta against this fucking guy because of all the money that he cheated my mom out of. You know, so I look at this guy that I had to like pay my hard-earned cash to because my, my mom was getting duped at his fucking casino 
for all these years and now he's fucking president it's like and it's just like and it's like what him the guy, like the guy i hate and like it's like like before any of this before like and it's oh it's just so infuriating joe it makes me so crazy and then i look back also the the other side of it is my first comedy gig ever was his fucking roast oh wow my first paid gig of any sort i got a i got a like a jeff threw me like a couple hundred dollars to write some jokes and it's just like it's like god fucking damn it like he's like attached to everything in my goddamn life and it's uh and i just want him gone i have a, he, it's a, I have a personal uh, vendetta he's your biff he's your yeah. biff to your george he mcfly <laughs> he's or marty is, man well maybe uh you know maybe <clears throat> maybe someday you'll knock him out and uh, I don't know. I was trying to do a back to the future um, analogy. That <laughs> really makes sense. But, um, well, dude, this was, uh, this was so fun. Thanks for doing it. It's great to see you. Great to catch up. It's great to see you too, Joe. You're, you're such a, a shining light. And uh, it always bums me out whenever I see you like be self-deprecating because you're so funny and you're oh, so thanks. kind and uh, you're, you're like a, a comedy superhero to me. Oh, uh, and uh, I don't, I don't know. I always, I've no, never understood why you don't, <laughs> why you don't uh, build yourself up more. But it's also part of your thing. So, I thanks. My therapist <laughs> just said the same thing to me. He's like, my therapist just yelled at me for not having more self empathy <laughs> or sympathy or whatever. So, I'll work on it. You're a good man. Say hi to Sarah for me. Will do. Thanks, Ed. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, man. Mindful Metal Jacket is hosted by comedian Joe List. Produced by Joe List. Edited by Matt Kleinschmidt. Executive producers Robert Kelly and Matt Kleinschmidt for the Laugh Button Podcasts. 